Receiving an organ transplant is a life-changing event. Receiving five organs at once, that's a miracle. Kidney, liver, upper and lower intestine, pancreas, and stomach. And I had no clue you can even transplant a stomach, <laughs> let alone intestine. That's Phil Hanks, a five-organ transplant recipient who's overcome more odds than most of us will ever face. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this edition of The Journey Continues. Hi, Phil. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's start at the beginning. What was your first experience with organ transplantation? That actually goes back to the year of 2007. I just met my current wife and uh, we got engaged and then i had been dealing with uh, tiredness and things to that nature off and on for a little while and i found out that i had um, had to have a liver transplant in 2007. i used to be an avid bodybuilder since the age of 15 years old but as i became an adult bodybuilding was just kind of something that i did on a regular basis that i enjoyed and i wanted to get bigger so I started taking supplements. I wasn't doing steroids or anything to that nature, but I was taking exorbitant amounts of protein, creatine, and other different supplements that were supposed to be more or less natural. They weren't supposed to be harmful and things of that nature, but I was doing them in abundance. So that's not to call those things out and say that they did harm my liver. However, the doctors did suspect that that's where it began. I was doing uh, 60 grams of protein per shake. And I worked out three times a day, every day except for Saturday and Sunday, I'd probably take a break. So did you have any other health issues at the time that may have contributed to your liver issues? Actually, no. Like I said, I was approximately 315. I was trying to get bigger, but I started dropping body weight. And as I started dropping body weight, I, I once again, I felt uh, lethargic, tired, I had just enough energy to work out, but after my workouts, I was wiped. Before my workouts, I was wiped. Uh, during the day at work, I didn't have as much energy as I once had. It was for a life insurance policy. I, I wanted to increase my life insurance policy. They came out and they did a swab for DNA. And, and also through that, that swab, they can tell you know if there's any issues or anything like that. They may have. It's in lieu of taking blood. And with that, I was then instructed that I needed to go see a doctor. I went and saw a, my physician. And when I saw him, they told me that my liver enzyme numbers, my liver numbers were off. So they started running more tests. And what they found out was that I was in fourth stage uh, liver, not failure, but I had liver cancer. And the liver is one of the only organs in the body that can regenerate itself. However, I was so far along that it was past that point. How did you feel when that you got that news? Shocked, utterly shocked. I had never been seriously ill, never had a broken bone. And now they're telling me that I needed a, a liver transplant. So that was pretty shocking. I can imagine that would be very shocking. How long did you have to wait before you got the transplant? Well, I did a number of things uh, before seeking the transplant. I tried to go the holistic route, which actually did help. But once I, I was more or less convinced that I had no other options is when I started seeking out the actual transplant itself. And it took me approximately six months. Okay. That's, that's not a, too terribly long of a wait, but probably still 
kind of scary while you're waiting for that life-saving operation. Did you run into any issues while recovering? Oh, most definitely. During the liver transplant itself, the new liver had an extra valve that my old liver did not. Oh. So what they did was they sewed up that extra valve. Mm-hmm. And once the uh, operation was complete, they threw me into recovery. They left me somewhat open, I guess, in case they needed to go back in or if they were going to try to tend to that extra valve in a different way. But what wound up happening was I, in recovery, I bled out uh, through that extra valve. Oh, gosh. And so I was bleeding internally. And uh, it was a nurse that came in. She found me. Um, she's the one that began the crash procedures because the first step towards death is renal failure. And I was in renal failure at the time that she, she found me. Wow. On the table, when they got me back in the operating room, my heart stopped. So they had to reach in to my chest and massage my heart with their hand to keep me going. Oh my gosh. What was going on for your wife at this time? Had you had you guys gotten married at this time or are you still engaged? We had just gotten married. So this must have been terrifying for her. You're newly married and your husband's experiencing not only a liver transplant, but kidney failure and heart stopping on the table. Like this must have been must have been so scary for her. Yeah, I do feel bad for her. Uh, she hates when I tell that story. Mm. But uh, we got married in July, and my liver transplant took place November 11th of that same year. Wow. My gosh. So with the kidney failure, did you have to go on dialysis at that point? Surprisingly not. Basically, my kidneys never fully recovered from that, but they recovered from what I was told uh, approximately 80%. Okay. And they kept getting better throughout the years um, after that. So that was in 2007. That was the first time I ever had to deal with an organ transplant of any kind. After that liver transplant and having to go back in, all of these scary things, what did your doctors tell you about the possibilities of needing an additional transplant in the future? They told me that it would be years that that liver should have sustained and that it would be a long time. Mm before I had to face another a transplant, if I had to face another transplant. So as a, a dad, what impact did that first transplant have on your family, being a father? It had a huge effect on my uh, me. My outlook on life was different. Um, the way I handled different things that came about that would cause a normal person's stress. I was more so calm. I, I, it just caused me to look at things differently. I was kind of stubborn back then. When it came to the doctor's orders and things of that nature, I kept pushing because I, I needed to get back to work. I needed to get back on my feet. Yeah. Let's fast forward some. When did you know something was wrong leading up to your most recent transplants? I was fine. I went back to work. I thought it was you know, a good time to take my family on vacation, which we had done the previous year to Texas. And my wife has relatives there. Her cousin is in, in administration. So her husband, who was a principal of a school, said, hey, you guys want to go to the gym? He's advocate about working out. Of course, I agreed. My, at the time, 17-year-old son wanted to go, and he wanted me to show him some things from my basketball days and kind of challenge the old man to see if I still had it. So we went to the gym, and while I was playing just a pickup game with uh, my cousin's husband and my son, I just simply waved my arm to kind of distract my son from uh, making a shot. Mm -hmm. When I did that, a pain shot up my arm and down my back. 
but the pain kept getting more and more intense to the point where when we got back to my wife's relative's house, I started popping ibuprofen, uh, 800 milligram tablets, and I was taking two of them at a time. When we got back to Chicago, by seven o'clock that next morning, I was in tears. I was in so much pain. And so I wound up in the hospital, University of Chicago, and I was there for a month and a half while they were trying to figure out where the pain was coming from. But before discharging me, they told me that I had to have a kidney transplant and a liver transplant. And when I asked, well, why kidneys? They said that I was in fourth stage kidney failure. How'd you feel getting that news? Uh, Devastated. Yeah. Um, I felt nothing wrong. I was working out again. I had absolutely no symptoms, no problems. When they gave me that news, I didn't believe them. Yeah. They told me that I needed a kidney and liver and that they could not do the transplant. So at that time, I really kind of broke down thinking, okay, so is this it? Is this, is this the end? But basically what happened was from the 2007 transplant, there was scar tissue that had built up from that transplant while they were working on me, trying to get my heart going again and trying to save my life. There was a lot of scar tissue created around the pulmonary vein. And the pulmonary vein is the main vein that feeds all your major organs. Mm -hmm. And the body is very resilient. Because what happened was the body started forming these other little veins to the organs, and it was just enough to keep the organs viable and keep them going. So what Northwestern tried to do is they tried to reopen the pulmonary vein by putting a stent in. And they tried three times, and three times they failed. They said that a new organ, let alone two, would not be sustainable with the pulmonary vein and the condition that it was in. So what did they suggest? So the doctor there, he was kind of very disappointed when he couldn't get it accomplished. And he came back with another solution and said, well, I know a doctor at IU Health in Indianapolis where this guy specializes in stuff like this. Okay. I contacted the doctors at IU Health with the help of the doctor at Northwestern, and they were able to set me up for a interview. So my wife and I drove three and a half hours to Indianapolis and met with Dr. Mangus. At first, Dr. Mangus was very skittish uh, about taking my case. Reason being is because he didn't know if he could get it accomplished. But he said after speaking with me, my positive attitude, my kind of my, is what he called it, inner strength, uh, spoke to him. And he said that he would do it. But what he told me next kind of floored me. He said, we're going to take five organs out of a donor, take five organs out of you and replace those organs. Kind of like you do a engine. Right. Like you're a total overhaul. Exactly. Wow. So I know you need a liver and kidneys, but what other organs did he suggest transplanting? One of them I've never heard of before being transplanted anyway. Uh So he told me kidney, liver, upper and lower intestine pancreas, and stomach. Wow. And I had no clue you can even transplant a stomach, <laughs> let alone intestines. Or I've heard of other different transplants, but when he said stomach and an upper and lower intestine, I was like, okay. And uh, basically what happened from there was my wife, she suffers from anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to react in front of her. Um, so I asked to be excused from the meeting briefly, went to the bathroom, and this is where 
I completely broke down. I mean, falling on my knees, I was in tears because I literally thought, how is this possible? Yeah. Um, this can't be possible. This, this is it for me. This is, this is how my story ends. And uh, it wasn't, you know, I, I gathered myself together. Once again, being a deep man of faith, prayed and pretty much, you know, got an answer of what, what I've been with you all this time. Why would I leave you now? Mm-hmm. And when I got that, I was like, you know what? You're, you're absolutely correct. Especially given the first transplant and how that went. Yeah. I gathered myself. I came back out. I asked my wife what she wanted to do. <laughs> she looked at me and she's usually the one that's nervous and worried. She looked at me with such confidence and said, what other choice do we have? You can't leave. So what did your doctor say to expect in terms of like surgery and recovery and all of that? This sounds like, has this ever been done before? He had done a few before, I believe. And don't quote me on this, but I believe I was fifth. And he said that he gave me a 50-50 chance, literally. And he said that it was not going to be an easy surgery. And he gave me a number of things that could happen from rejection to developing. He had one patient that developed a infection Mm. that eventually killed her. Oh, wow. So there was all these things to expect. And my response to him was, okay, so what are the things that I can expect on the positive side? He kind of chuckled after looking at me for a second, like, okay, I just told you all these things that could happen. And he said he, he didn't really think about it from that point, but he gave me that side of it. Don't expect to jump up and be running a marathon anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. I had to stay in the city, which they gave me a place to stay. IU Health is awesome. They gave me a loft to stay in during my first six months of recovery because he wanted me close. Yeah. He told me about the psychological parts of it which you don't really think about when you think about organ transplant, the fact that you're accepting someone else's organ um, used to be in someone else's body. And depending on how you look at it or depending on how you handle that, there's a whole psychological piece to that. Mm -hmm. Particularly with something like this, where like if you could get a, a portion of a liver or a kidney from a living donor, but in this case, someone has to die in order for you to get all five of these organs because they, they'd need to come from the same donor. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. So it's kind of like an ecosystem. You can't take a liver from one person, a kidney from another person. It, they prefer that it all comes from the same person because it's an environment. Yeah. Your body has like less to, to fight against, I guess, in terms of rejection in that way. So what kept you positive during all of this? Because this is big, heavy news. It it was. It was very heavy. The thing that I kept relying back on were two things. My faith. That was big and heavy. That was, I spoke to God. I think I spoke to him more than I've ever spoken to him before in my life. That and my mother. My mother raised me to be, number one, be a man of faith. But number two, not to give up or give in. She would tell me all the time not to quit, to keep moving forward. My wife and kids were a big motivation. 
So you have those conversations and then you, you go forward with the surgery. How long did the surgery take? This sounds like quite an undertaking for five organs. It was. So the first surgery went for eight and a half hours. Wow. And that's where they did the liver, the stomach, the upper and lower intestine, and the pancreas. And then the next morning, they woke me up after that. I spent the evening with my wife kind of sedated, but I was awake. And the next morning they put me back under and did the kidney. Okay. So it took two days and the kidney took seven hours, if I remember correctly, what my wife was telling me. Both went flawlessly. And what happened after that, my wife calls a walking, she calls me a walking miracle. I'd have to agree with her there. This is incredible. I've never heard anything like your story. What happened after that, a day and a half after the kidney was put in. I pushed myself. I remembered from the University of Chicago days that you have to get up and walk. You can't lay in the bed. You have to move. You have to get back up. And kind of what went through my head, it it was kind of like a body check. You know, fingers worked, toes worked. (laughs) (laughs) Felt the pain from, you know, where they did the surgery, but it wasn't excruciating. And that was surprising to me. Yeah, that is surprising. Everything worked, everything checked out. So now I wanted to get up and kind of put my feet on the floor and and test things out. And the doctor and the hospital were totally against it. They wanted me to take it easy is what they kept telling me. (laughs) And after arguing with them, they finally decided we'll let the physical therapist make the final decision. And the physical therapist was called into the room and he came into the room and he said, well, if he wants to get up, let him get up. And it was a slow, painstaking process, but I did get up and I walked across the floor to the uh, chair that they had in the room that you kind of, they want you to sit in. And that was a day and a half after, you know, all the the major surgeries. That's incredible. Within weeks after that, I was walking the hospital floors around the nurse's station and I just kept pushing and pushing and getting better and better to the point where Dr. Mangus was getting very nervous. (laughs) I was supposed to be in ICU for a month. I was only in there for two weeks. Oh, wow. They tried to wheel me to my regular room when I was leaving the ICU. And that was interesting because I refused the wheelchair and walked. Everything was just miraculous. And I can't take credit for any of it. I always say that I'm just a passenger in all this and uh, God was at the wheel. Mm. Well, that's incredible. How long was it before you were completely back to your normal self and back at work and doing all the things you love to do? Well, I'm still not back at work yet. Unfortunately, with the position that I was in, in March, just before, I mean, literally a week before COVID hit, my job decided to give me a severance package and uh, my last bonus. So with that, um, my doctors want me to take off a year to a year and a half. So April will be a year. Okay. But to answer your question, it was approximately two to three months. Okay. Wow. That's a much quicker recovery than I would have expected for for such a big operation. So you're definitely a determined patient and ready to push yourself to be back on your feet, it sounds like. It was definitely, it took Dr. Mangus by surprise. He fought me a lot of the way, but has been my biggest cheerleader all at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Were you able to learn anything about your donor? So I'm in the midst right now of trying to put together a letter 
okay. for the donor family. I would love to meet the donor family. However, it's a very sensitive topic, which is why it's taken me as long as it's taken me yeah. to write the letter because you have to keep in mind that they lost someone. Yes. Yeah. And with that being said, that kind of leads into how I'm able to be here. So I'm trying to keep that in mind, uh, the fact that they did lose someone, but that person lives on through me. Yeah. I'm sure that they in any way will be happy to know that their loved one's organs are being cared for, that you're grateful and that you're doing great things as a result of this this person's gift after their death. What would you like to share with our audience about organ and blood donation? How important it is. There are definitely people that can live a, a full life from organ donation, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the fact of death. As you stated earlier, there's living donors. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I, I mean, I've been doing a lot of research on this since I've been doing uh, speaking on it. I want to be an educated speaker. Mm-hmm. And one of the amazing donations that I found out about was Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant blew a tenon. Um, and when he blew a tenon, you know, he, he couldn't play. And he got a donation of tissue that helped him get back on the floor. After blowing a tenon, usually it takes about a year before you even touch a treadmill or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. From my understanding, it was four months and he was back on the treadmill. And within three months after that, so a total of seven, if I remember correctly, seven months, he was back on the basketball floor and they won a championship that year. So, I mean, the fact that you could donate uh, retinas and help a blind person see again. Yeah. It's just amazing. Uh, Donation is very important. And I also didn't realize the shortage. You know, that's why I feel so blessed because I had two donors. So I'm, I'm definitely blessed. I was just going to say, you've done some work around blood donation as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. During both of these transplants, I needed an exorbitant amount of um, blood uh, donated to me. My first transplant, the liver was in such a bad condition that my blood counts and everything kept dropping. So in order for them to even do the first liver transplant, I had to get plasma and things of that nature to get me even ready to go into the to the operation. This time around with the five organ transplant, the amount of blood, because I did ask, the amount of blood that was donated to me was in, uh, I believe it was in the teens. In bags of, or liters? In bags of blood. Wow. So blood donation is just as important as organ donation. Mm-hmm. You never know who you can help. Um, donating blood, tissue, or organs. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Well, Phil, thank you so much for uh, coming on The Journey Continues. Your story is just so fascinating and incredible, and I've just really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. It was my pleasure, and uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks to our guest, Phil Hanks, for sharing his incredible and miraculous story with us. If you'd like to learn more about organ or blood donation, visit the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois website at nkfi.org. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, and this is The Journey Continues. 
Prevention is a key part of our mission at NKFI. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest offers a health or nutrition tip. Here's today's nutrition tip about dietary supplements. There's no denying that dietary supplements are popular and many people take at least one dietary supplement each day. But do you need to take them? And if so, which one should you take? As a registered dietitian nutritionist, I'm always a proponent of a food first approach, meaning that you should be able to get all of the nutrients you need through your diet. For example, one Brazil nut provides the recommended daily allowance of selenium. The National Institutes of Health defines dietary supplements as substances you might use to add nutrients to your diet or to lower your risk of health problems like osteoporosis or arthritis. Dietary supplements may come in the form of pills, capsules, gel tabs, extracts, or liquids. They may contain vitamins, minerals, fiber, amino acids, which are proteins, herbs, or other plants or enzymes. Usually a prescription is not needed to buy dietary supplements. Dietary supplements are not regulated by the Federal Drug Administration, or the FDA, in the same way as prescription medications are, and dietary supplement companies are not required to share information about safety with the FDA before they sell it, although the companies are responsible for making sure the supplements are safe. So should you take a dietary supplement? Many herbal supplements and other dietary supplements can interact with prescription medications or can cause damage to your kidneys. It's important that you discuss any supplement you are taking or want to take with your provider and or your pharmacist to discuss any risks or harms. If you are missing something for your diet or need to increase a specific nutrient, talk with your provider or registered dietitian nutritionist to learn if a supplement may be needed. If you have received the gift of a transplanted organ, you have likely been told that you cannot take dietary supplements. So continue that discussion with your team and ask questions before you take any dietary supplements. And also check the science on the supplements. While a manufacturer may make claims, you need to check for information about safety or effectiveness. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Press, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.